a psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like a horse or like a mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. It's amazing that our Lord Jesus would single this one thing out when he comes to us, our spiritual side, if you will, after uh, teaching us to pray for our daily bread, that he says, and pray like this, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why? It's not as if, as I've mentioned this morning, the whole gospel is just forgiveness and that's it, period. No, that's not the reason. But forgiveness is incredibly important. It's the only doorway into the kingdom of God through repentance, with repentance. And it's the only way to stay in the kingdom of God. It's the currency of the kingdom. Or how do you think the disciples happened to join around our Lord Jesus? It's impossible without them humbling themselves, receiving forgiveness from the king, and continuing in the light with him while the blood of Christ is cleansing them. And that is how we come to know the Lord and remain in fellowship with him. It's, if you will, like a visa. I cannot go. I go to Uganda on Friday without a visa. And if my visa expires, I must go. That's how it works in the kingdom too. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now, we will not focus on this second half, uh, which is the proof, the, the sign that you and I have a in fact, receive forgiveness. We want to share it now as well with others. If not, then there is a big problem. Now, we will focus on the first and forgive us our debts. Notice, debt is objective. Like, 
You know what I owe you. It's not what I feel, might feel I owe you. You, you will tell me what I owe you, right? So debts. Forgive us our debts. And that brings me to the Psalm of David, Psalm 32. Let me give a brief overview of this psalm. Verse 1 and 2 tells us how happy or blessed is the one who is forgiven by God. And it tells us also that, in, or rather, and then verse 3 and 4 tells us about a time when David was not forgiven. When he refused to own his sin. And that forgiveness does not always come easy. That is three and four. And then verse five tells us how he was released from that huge burden. And six and seven describes the wonderful effects of being forgiven. And eight through ten warns all of us, in the light of what was said, not to be fools. Not to be stubborn like a horse. And then verse 11, again it ends with rejoicing in the Lord, the God who delivered David and all of us and for his wonderful gift of forgiveness. So that's the psalm. Now I don't want to try and reconstruct the background. Who knows what exactly the background was. But let me tell you, the situation may be different from you and me The experience is not. The experience is universal. It applies to all of us everywhere. So verse 1 and 2, how happy or blessed are those who are forgiven. Some translations say how blessed, others say even how praiseworthy or how happy. Blessed, you could say, refer to the status of the forgiven person. Happy more to the subjective experience. Both are included there. The deepest source of the believer's joy, let me tell you, when you really drill down to it, is this, that God's face is shining on us. He justified us. He has forgiven us. That is why this is the only place in the entire world where we, by definition, sing when we are together. Have you noticed that? Not at political party, not in the mosque, not at some club or association, but here we bring our songbooks, or we find them here. Why? Because of salvation. And that is why you will see that in Psalm 32 and 51 and other places. It is when the, the... the penitent receives salvation that he begins to sing. That's where our hymns were born from. Amazing grace that saved the wretch like me. How blessed is the one. And so the whole psalm centers around that wonderful promise. Uh, is the one whose sins are forgiven. That means they are lifted. They are removed. And whose iniquity, whose perversity is covered. Covered from before God's face. He no longer looks at it. David wants you and me to know that you and I can share in that profound happiness. This psalm and the rest of the Bible tells us that 
Our God is concerned for human well-being and flourishing and happiness and for your glory above all. But you know, the, the wonderful thing is that you and I will not find happiness by pursuing it. I think Solzhenitsyn reminded us of that in 78 already when he came to Harvard. You think you will find happiness by pursuing it. No, that doesn't work like that. It will be like a mirage in the desert. You find happiness by pursuing God and his kingdom. And so when you are made right with him, you know that he is smiling upon you. His face is shining on you through Jesus. So look at the Holy One of Israel, our maker. He wants us to blossom, to live in his shalom. But there's only one way. There's only one way and that is for him and us, and now think individually, to sort things out. There is something to be sorted out. You read that in Isaiah 1. God says, I'm not happy with all your singing and offerings and prayers. Don't come near me. Look, your hands are full of blood. You're trampling my courts. Let us reason together. Though your sins were red like crimson, they, become, they will become white like wool. Come on, repent now. Eat my word and you will be blessed. So there is a transaction that has to take place. We have to acknowledge that we were wrong and have done evil. Always begins there, says David. And it will be well with your soul, whether you're young or old, whether you live in a palace or sit in a prison. And by the way, it's so important, those of us who are young, I hope you grasp as if you've never before today, how important this forgiveness is. And those of us who are older, please don't think, oh, I know all about it. It's not so vital for me anymore. The psalm is based on this unshakable foundation, you see, of God's holiness and mercy. These two character traits of God Israel knew it from their history, from that terrible experience at Mount Sinai when Moses stayed away and they committed the great sin of the golden calf. And it was doomsday. And God said, no more do I go up with this people. And Moses interceded. And God relented. And he gave that great revelation Though he's a righteous God and he will visit the iniquity of the wicked upon the third and fourth generation, yet, yet he's also slow to anger. He's merciful and gracious and he forgives. That was not a Bible verse in their minds. That was an experience. That was do or die day for them in Israel. Is he going with us or not? 
And there they learned Yahweh is not a God to fool around with. He will not let the unrepentant get their way. But he is merciful and gracious to those who fear him. Repent and remember his ways. You never have to doubt about that. He is a good God who has bound himself by an oath to forgive us. And we know why. Better than David even. Because of him who taught us the Lord's Prayer. Jesus. Because of him, God is bound by an oath to justify the penitent sinner. And so we go to 3 and 5. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now these verses come from David's experience and they tell us it doesn't always go so easy. Well, forgiveness is free, but the road to the point of asking for it with a broken heart is not so easy. I kept silence. My bones, my limbs, my essence wasted away. He felt it in his body. He felt sick to the heart. He knew it when he was there. He knew it even better from hindsight. And medical science and psychology have even caught up in the last 30, 40 years. You know, we always viewed man as body and soul, and here's a few pills, you, you feel sick, let's treat it with. But now we know you're such an intricate whole. Everything affects everything. That's important. That's already there in the Bible. We don't have a body. We are a, a beautiful and a wonderful unity. And when David lived with unconfessed sin, he felt it in his bones. It was as if his strength was gone. Many things that go wrong emotionally and spiritually in our lives will eventually affect us physically. He says it was as if the heat of summer sapped away every bit of energy. You can see it after a while if somebody lives, especially if they know the truth, in unrepentant uh, sin. You can see it on their face. As if he had labored all day in the hot sun with nothing to slake his thirst. Why? Because I kept silent. He was trying to convince himself it was not so bad. It was okay. I'm okay, but it was not. His body and soul cried out, but he thought he could carry on a little while. 
For David is concerned for you and me. Why do we keep silent when we should repent and confess? Well, there are all kinds of reasons. Number one, we want to do it again. And we know I cannot confess this with sincerity if it will be fake. I want to do it again. Two, we are ashamed. Our pride keeps us from saying it. Number three, we are afraid. You may even think, will God even forgive me? Can he have mercy on me after what I have done? Oh, we are simply sloppy. Life is so busy. There's so many important things. Forgiveness, you know, is way down the order of things to worry about. Oh, we are hypocrites. We think our sin is not really big when it grieves God and hurts man. We don't think much about it. You sometimes wonder, Mr. Simon the Pharisee, maybe you should fall in some of the sins of this woman so that you will also know what you are. For Christ did not come to save the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And so what do we do with this nagging voice and this growing burden? We tell ourselves it's not so bad. Or we double down. You go even further with whatever is wrong, hoping to silence your conscience. Or you seek strength in numbers. So and so and so and so is doing it. Or whatever it might be. But all of that is deceit. It's plain deceit, which is why the psalm opens, in whose spirit there is no deceit. The forgiven man or woman or child, spirit has been cleansed of deceit. You see, forgiveness does not come cheaply because we lie to ourselves so easily. Cheap grace, said Bonifer, is the church church's most deadly enemy. Let us continue in sin that grace may abound. May abound. It's almost like you spray off your dirt bike and uh, you know you will go again next Saturday, going somewhere else. It doesn't work like that. That's cheap grace. And if you want to ask me what went wrong in our Western world, then Nothing is closer to the heart than too much cheap grace was preached for too long. That lies at the heart of it. And so the road to forgiveness is not always easy. But thank God for verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Glorious, wonderful. It's, you know, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. It's that but in, 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 in Ephesians 2. We are dead in trespasses, but because of his great love. It caused the breakthrough. God's grace brought him around to confess. And the sunlight broke through the heavy clouds. Then I confessed my sin to you. 
I used to hid behind the shrubs. Just like Adam, David could say, until Nathan showed up, you are the man. Or as John Stott would say, the hound of heaven caught up with me. God went after Adam and Eve and said, Adam, Adam, where are you? The last time I saw my father, now 92, I learned so much from him through life. He said, what do you think God was asking Adam? Where are you? You think he was asking about location? Are you behind that shrub or that one? No, it's not about location. He was asking, Adam, where are you now? Where are you now? That's right. So God found him and he acknowledged his sin. Reminds us of the parable where the Lord asked, and which one of these two went back to his home justified. The one who trusted in his religion, boasted in his piety, or the one who said, I can't even look up. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That is what David is saying as well. Blessed are you when you realize I am broken and busted. When you're at the lowest, you think, oh, I'm the most miserable. No, the Lord The Lord is near unto those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It's when our hearts are proud and deceitful that we are far from him. But when we are there, broken, then his grace is near. For we are ready to depart from all deceit. It's like the woman whom Jesus met at the well, running back into the city, forgetting the picture there, telling them, I heard a man who told me everything I ever did. Maybe the guy she slept with. She told that. Forgiveness is free. But it comes by way of genuine recognition and repentance. And accepting full responsibility and confessing our sin. Maybe, maybe my dear friend, this is where you are today. If you are honest, you have to admit my vitality has dried up. As in the heat of summer, I've lost the joy of life, the joy of the Lord. I am stuck. I'm going nowhere. Christ and his kingdom is not all to me. There are other things clouding my heart, too important. There are too many things unconfessed. And your joy is gone. And your confidence in the Lord is lacking. And anxiety is even stalking. You will hear that in the psalm as well. It's not all right. Do you hear the footsteps in the garden? Psalm 139 says, There's no place to hide. 
Even the dark is like daylight to you. I want help to go to the ends of the earth or to sink into the depths of the ocean. Even there, you know me. I recall when I was for a while near death last year with COVID, how the Spirit of God was like a searchlight, you know, like we were in the army, these spotlights going back and forth in the night. Like a searchlight scanning my heart. What is there to bring to the Lord in repentance? David tried to cover things up for months while his spirit inside of him was crying for redemption, but it did not work. I mean, the cover-up did not work. Thank God he sent Nathan. Oh, blessed Nathan. And now you know, my colleague preached about that a few weeks ago, why we need the ministry of confrontation in love in the church. Woe to us when that is departing or when we think it's only the elder's job. When we cannot in love, after much prayer, address something we notice that is serious in the life of a brother or a sister. And so, also, this is why we must pray for preaching that will convict a congregation that resists conviction is a dying congregation. Conviction is the pathway to peace. It's the ministry of the Spirit. It's the pathway to joy. And so, Psalm 39, in the words of Psalm 139, we should pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there is a wicked way in me, and lead me on the way everlasting. As you go to the church on Sunday, as you bow your knees on Monday or Tuesday, pray this. Know my heart. Try my thoughts. See if there is a wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. May have been careless words spoken yesterday or some article that was taken, some lie that was told, some indulgence in the flesh, some bitterness of heart or a rotten attitude. It may be anything, doesn't matter. Or maybe it's just love for this passing world with all its lust and greed. And you know your heart is cold. You are like a wandering sheep, far from the shepherd, whatever it is. David chose us. Come now. Though your sins were red like scarlet, come. They shall become like white as wool. If we confess, he that is our Lord Jesus is righteous, and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all our iniquity. But if we deny that we have sinned, we make God a liar. You see, as John Owen wrote long ago, either we kill our sin or it will be killing us. We shall make no progress in the things of God unless we are willing to walk over the bellies of our lusts, wrote Owen. It's like a boxing match. You either knock that old man or woman black and blue 
or you will be on the canvas soon. He who covers his sin shall not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Proverbs 28. My friend, we heard it this morning. That is why Jesus said, right at the end of the Gospel of Luke, on the way to Emmaus, to those two friends, thus, this is why the Son of Man had to suffer many things and enter into his glory and be raised on the third day. So that what? So that repentance may be, repentance and the forgiveness of sins may be proclaimed to all the nations. Now stay here until you are endowed by the Spirit from on high. This is why I had to suffer. So that repentance and forgiveness of sins may be proclaimed to Emmanuel in 2022. Praise God. Where he brought his servant. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions. And you forgave my iniquity. You no longer imputed to me my evil and sin. But the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, blessed are we when we take this seriously in our lives on a daily basis. When we are fed up with covering up and say, no, we want to live transparently before the Lord, for he is light, and we shall only walk with him if we walk in the light. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Who could stand if the Lord would reckon to us our sins, says Psalm 130. If he forgives, it means he never remembers them. No more. He cast them into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103. Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love over those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. As much as a father has compassion on his children, so much you have compassion over those who fear you. This is the secret of true happiness, isn't it? And it's all because of Jesus. He alone is the reason. It's because of him that God looks at us in pity. For he is the son of God's love whom he gave. Yes, gave up on the cross for us. So as not to reckon to, I, to my account the iniquity I have committed, for he reckoned it to him. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the reason why the Almighty is no longer angry, why your sins are covered, and why you may be counted among the beloved. For God so loved the world. And all of it is by faith. We receive it through faith. But the faith that trusts in Jesus 
will never remain alone. It brings forth abundant fruit, as we will see now in verse 6 and 7. I have, uh, rather, where am I now? 6 and 7. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. You notice something here. David is no longer isolated. You know how sin isolates you, right? We all know it. You might be among the throng of God's people, but you feel lonely. He's no longer lonely. He's suddenly surrounded by God's people. And he says there, the godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. David is full of wisdom for other sinners. So his repentance brought about a deep sense of joy in the Lord, but also concern for God's people. And you see that right through the Bible. The fruit of forgiveness. Manasseh just destroys the idols of the land. Zacchaeus turns into a generous man. The woman at the well turns into an honest woman of integrity. Lydia and the Philippian jailer are hospitable. Come over. And they gave the apostles food and treated their wounds. And so you can go on. The Pharisee Saul turns into a sincere believer. Forgiveness changes us. And David says, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Never presume on Yahweh. Why? While you may be found. David is saying, hey, my friends, there's a window. It might close. Pray to God while he may be found. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. He is now instructing us with a new confidence. Make use of that window. Don't let it close, for it may. And surely, says David, the rising of many waters will not reach him. In other words, you are now forgiven. You no longer live in anxiety. What's going to happen next year? What's going to happen to the world? I say, see, Jordan Peterson says, prepare for the flood. Yeah. That's how it feels. We have to prepare for the flood. But you don't even care if a flood is coming. You're not afraid of rising waters, the rising of Euphrates, for the sun in its heat, says the psalm. It's amazing how we write with God that even anxiety is dealt with. For this is my Father's world. It will be all right. If he has given us Christ, will he not give us all things that we need? The devil can't get to me. He must get past Jesus. But the wicked, they will have many sorrows. And they fear even when the leaves rustle. For you are my hiding place. You are like that cleft in the rock. The swallow flies into it, and the hawk cannot catch it anymore. God is like a castle, an impregnable fortress. And all you need is to run and to hide, to find your strength in him. 
So now we come to verses 8 and 9. It applies a lesson to all of us. Verse 8 and 9. I will instruct you. Not sure if it's David telling us or God. It's actually God through David. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they won't come near you. There's a lesson here. If forgiveness is so good and fellowship with the Lord so wonderful, why? Why, why, why ever hesitate? Why would we ever prefer the other way? To live under God's heavy hand. To not have his face shining, but frowning upon us. To groan all the day long. Why? And it's even worse when we can sin uh, not feeling anything, by the way. How is it possible? What could be the reason? There could be many things. But David is saying, please listen. It's not worth it. Don't be stubborn like a mule, like a dumb donkey. Don't be like a horse. It wouldn't come near you lest you subdue it with bit and bridle. You know God has a way to tame you. You want to think you are stronger than him? He will break you in. If you test him, learn from my example, says David. We don't want to go there. And many Christians have testimonies. And, And it is through our suffering and affliction that we learn the ways of the Lord. That is true, but... We don't want to tempt the Lord, do we? David says, I know what I'm talking about, mate. Don't go there. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But blessed are you if you walk with the Lord. So David has a heart for us. For you children and for me and for each one of us. And if David, how much more? The son of David whom we heard this morning. And so, Psalm 11, uh, verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy. Be upright in heart. Shout. Don't hold back. Shout aloud. How great is his love and forgiveness. Sing. Sing freely and spontaneously about his love. But now, in closing, what a wonderful song. There is one thing we should take from it. Forgiveness is an act of God which is subjectively experienced. It never happens outside a personal encounter with the Lord. It does not happen in our sleep. It does not happen somehow automatically. At least not as a rule. There's a transaction. It's It's not yours because you happen to have the right theology or you belong to the right group and therefore you're also forgiven. There is no such thing in the entire Bible. 
It happens through an encounter with God. Can two walk together unless they're agreed, ask Amos. There is no such thing in the Bible that we can be forgiven without a personal encounter with God in His Son. Some people like to say, I was saved on the cross long ago. Yes, it sounds very profound. But it will go through your heart and your conscience and your bones. We are saved by the cross and through the cross. But that salvation will go through our experience. Think of it this way. We're all born slaves. There is no thing in the Bible, such thing, that the great benefactor came and just deposited the money for our ransom, for our freedom, and we get to hear, oh, we're free. We don't even see the great benefactor. We're just free. No, there's no such thing. That is heresy. He offers, we beg, he pays, we are released, we rejoice, and we cling to him forever. That's why Luther could speak of beggars at the spring. You meet him face to face, and you enter the kingdom of heaven, and you continue there by transacting with him. That is why Jesus said, pray always without ceasing. Ask, knock, seek. There is this great error among us that forgiveness is somehow just part of the deal. It doesn't have to be transacted personally from God. It is error. There is no such thing in the Bible. That's the first thing. The second is this. Let the godly seek you while you may be found. Listen to Robert Mary McShane writing to a young man who ran away from home. Would you work less pleasantly, my dear so-and-so? Would you walk the streets with a more doleful step? Would you eat your meat with less gladness of heart? Would you sleep less tranquilly at night? If you had the forgiveness of sins, if all these wicked thoughts and deeds and so on were all blotted out of God's book of remembrance, would this make you less happy, do you think? You dare not say it would. But would the forgiveness of sins not make you more happy than you are? Perhaps you will tell me that you are very happy as you are. I quite believe you. I know that I was very happy when I was unforgiven. I know that I had great pleasure in many sins. Many a delightful walk I had. Without confessing my sin. And yet. You are greatly mistaken if you think. That is happiness. 
Would not you be happier at work and at, in the home, in your bed, if you are truly forgiven by our Lord Jesus? I can assure you from all that I have ever felt of it, the pleasures of being forgiven are far superior to the pleasures of sin as heaven is higher than hell. The peace of being forgiven reminds me of the calm blue sky which no earthly clamors can disturb. Why would we then neglect it? God only wants to bless us. May he abundantly bless you by experiencing and rejoicing in the forgiveness that he gives. And remember what we confess in the creed, I believe the forgiveness. For there are people who confess and then don't believe. You must believe that he is gracious to forgive. Amen. Come, let us pray. Lord, our God, we thank you for your word and for this amazing psalm. Help us not to take these things for granted, Lord. Write them on the tablet of our hearts. Help us to go today, this very evening, and to bring to you what needs to be brought before your throne, even to one another, even the wrongs we have committed to one another. Help us, Lord, so that we may fully enjoy the pleasures in your right hand, the joys forevermore that are to be found with you alone. For with joy shall we scoop water from the well of salvation, says Isaiah. Help us through Jesus Christ always to live out of this forgiveness. Amen. Come, let us sing number.